message last night was excellent. I don't think I've ever heard Dan speak, so that was really good. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so what I'm going to I'm going to wrap up this series of what what uh, I've been calling "Own the Mission," um, and uh, what I want to do today. Uh, is kind of look at a different viewpoint of things and just kind of look at the reasons that people won't own a mission or choose not to or make up an excuse not to. And uh, ultimately, I want to talk about how how we can avoid those, how we can respond to those those excuses that we always seem to have uh, that come up. And... um, so for I've been doing this for three weeks now, or uh, well, yesterday and two weeks before that on a Wednesday night. And um, the last two the last two Wednesday night studies we began and this this look at uh, owning the mission kind of just kind of dealing with some basics, understanding what I'm talking about. Uh, and then yesterday I talked about occupying the mission and and uh, finding a role to plug yourself into. And uh, and so uh, if you are interested. Um, and want to go back on to those two Wednesday nights and listen to that. There's, there's outside between the two, between the chairs against the wall behind this, the, um, the AV booth is uh, some, some notes from those two week Wednesday nights. And the, uh, the videos from Wednesday night Bible study are online. You can get that to go to the listen page on, on the church's website. And uh, so you can have those notes and you can listen to that and try to follow along with that and then pick up the whole thing, get it all together together um so yesterday like i said i spoke about occupying the, the mission today i don't want to talk about identifying what inhibit inhibits people from occupying the mission and um so as i as i kind of get to this this conclusion this this whole thing uh i hope that it's been an encouragement to to people i hope it's been a, as a, as much of a, an encouragement as a challenge um and, uh, and a challenge mainly to examine each one of each examine yourself uh, and what has you, to, to try to determine what has your attention where do you spend most of your time um, do you do you um, limit your your access or you limit God's access to your time because you've got something better to do instead of serving God and uh, and so that's kind of where we're going to go uh, finishing this up um, what I want to do tonight or this morning, I want to start with um, probably one of the biggest excuses that people will use to to um, to not serve the Lord, and that would be uh, Satan. Satan has an, Satan attacks us on three fronts, uh, which is um, something that I want to kind of come do a comparison with. So I mentioned yesterday there's a spiritual war taking place um, uh, globally. And that war is not like the war that you know that we think about, like like uh, going on in Ukraine right now. There's no there's no bullets being being uh, thrown around, but there are there is irreparable damage that that is happening. Uh, the battle seeks to capture souls for the purpose of destroying them. Uh, so, uh, no matter what happens with with uh, physical war, the soul is is uh, subject to one or the other. And like I said yesterday, every soul is either going to suffer. Or be sanctified, and uh, and we have a responsibility to affect what what may be um, the outcome for mo- for those souls. We we as a believer, we as Christians, uh, we we should take responsibility for making sure that every soul that we can get to has been rescued and will be sanctified in the end. Uh, so. This kind of then is a summary of why we why we must own the mission for the lost souls of mankind to be rescued. If we if we don't do this, then souls are going to suffer eternally. So before we jump into the scriptures, let's pray, and then we'll move on, we'll move on. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to finish this up this series. I do pray, Lord, that it would be profitable um, for your your kingdom, for your mission, for for this church, for the for the body of Christ, and. And Lord, I I, um, I don't know where you'll take this. I don't know what you'll do in in everybody's heart, but I, I trust that it would be for your glory, for your honor, and that uh, you would uh, you would be exalted in everybody's life because of this, and at least in some way. So we just ask for your guidance and your direction on what needs to be said, what will be said, 
and uh, not just today, not just this morning, but the, the next session and then the, the uh, preaching tonight and then uh, finally finalizing our conference on Wednesday night. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so everybody's familiar with this verse in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It's, you know, it's a verse that we look at during our discipleship uh, training. Uh, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the but is of the world. So what I what I what I want to go to in this is this is that Satan Satan has a three front he has a three frontal approach, but he works two ways to defeat you and to draw you away from God, uh, to take you away from serving Him in mission, to to eliminate uh, any any possibility that you would do anything for God. So he has two things first. First, he uses uh, lust. He says, actually, there's two times he says lust there. Um, and so he uses lust to lure us, to catch us with temptation, either what we see or what we feel. Both are equally a destination. God is trying to, to um, the, uh, both are equally a destructive point. Lust, um, I would define lust as an inordinate, inordinate desire to, sanct- to satisfy carnal appetites to connect you to more animal desi- animalistic type of desires. That's lust. It's trying to draw you to something that is not going to glorify God at all. And these lures or these lusts are the lust of the eyes, of course it says, and the lust of the flesh. Both of them have a goal of tempting you to sin. And we talked about last uh, yesterday as well uh, that there's, there's a, uh, a disease in, going on in the world, and that disease is sin. And so Satan is tempting Christians, um, and um, uh, let me back up a second. Satan is tempting Christ. Remember when in, in the Gospels when Jesus Christ is in, in, in his 40 days, after 40 days of being in the wilderness, Satan comes and tempts him. Why does he tempt him? Because he's trying to take him away from what his, his, his mission was supposed to be. Satan is trying to destroy his mission. <clears throat> He's, he's trying to eliminate his mission, and so he tempted Eve as well in the garden, and he had success in the garden. Uh, he, 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 he tempted Eve. Eve uh, failed. Adam and Eve both failed, actually. And, uh, and because of that, uh, their mission was, was circumvented. Their mission. They didn't own the mission that God had given them. They were supposed to, to, um, to care for the garden and keep it and, uh, and to, um, to grow it, and they didn't do that. They, in fact, they got kicked out of the garden. Because they allowed the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh to draw them away from what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, so Satan wants to tempt you, too. He wants to tempt you. And, and James, James writes this uh, in, um, in James chapter 1, verse 14. He says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So James, and this is kind of how I would define what James is saying. He, James has a bait, and, a bait, he's talking about a bait and a trap. Uh, not bait and switch, but bait and trap. And uh, so the bait is whatever there is that tempts you and draws you away from an honorable behavior and leads you into the trap that he's talking about. That's, a, that's that word entice. That word entice, it, 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 means to be, it means attract. Entice means to be entrapped. Entrapped. He, he's going to gain you. Uh, and so the, the trap is that enticing that holds us in a snare. Timothy says this about that thing. He, Timothy warns us, or not Timothy, but Paul warns Timothy. He says, and, they that we, and, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So we have the opportunity, if we're, if we, if we're paying attention to what's happening in our life, that we can recover ourselves from that snare, from that trap of the devil. Uh, we, can, we can be freed from that, but we have, to, we have to pay attention to what we're doing. The second weapon that Satan has um, is pride. And uh, so I've been thinking about pride a lot lately because um, pride is what, what I would call boastful pretensions, boastful pretentious behaviors, both positive and negative. You know, you can be prideful in a positive way, and not in a good way, but let me I'll explain what I mean in just a second, or negative. So pride uh, in a positive thinking about pride is pride, we, we think of things for ourselves, well, look at me, look how good I am. Look what I have done. Look what I've accomplished. That, I would put that, I would catalog that as positive pride. Because negative pride is this. I never get anything done. 
I'm always miserable. I'm suffering. I have a problem. This, I can never do that because I have these things going on in my life. I can never. That's negative pride. We, we, Satan allows us to, to have pride in our life, both, both positive and negative. According to Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10, it says that pride is the, uh, both the source of contention and the source of, and it's the opposite of wisdom. Proverbs 13, 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So pride keeps us from owning a mission because we have convinced ourselves by our thinking about how good we are that I don't need to do that or how bad I am because I can't do that. Both of those are prideful thoughts because it's about I, me, what I can or what I cannot do. That's pride. So we think, generally we think about pride as, well, you're such a prideful person, you think you're you think you're so good. You're a prideful person because you think you're so bad. Both of them are pride. And I'm thinking about it a lot because when we go through things, we tend to think, oh, how, how miserable I am, how, how wretched I am. And those are not bad thoughts, but don't live in that. Don't use those as an excuse to keep from owning the mission, which is what we do. I can't serve God because... I'm too good. I can't serve God because I'm too bad. Nobody will literally say I'm too good to serve God, but they will pridefully act like I'm too good to do that. I have better things to do with my time. Let me go someplace else. Oh, you want me to go over there? No, I'd rather go over here. And I can't go over here yet, so I can't go over there because I don't want to go over there because I want to go over here. That's prideful behavior. I can't do this is pride, whether it's good, positive pride or bad, negative pride. Pride keeps us from owning the mission because we have convinced ourselves by our thinking just how good we are or thinking how, how our lack of ability or our unworthiness is there. John calls this the pride of life, uh, which leads to an arrogant behavior toward others and sadly, even towards God. Jesus Christ put this in the same category. In, in, look over at Matthew chapter, Mark, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 7. Starting in verse 33, I actually have it written wrong, 33 to 23. I'm not reading backwards. Let's see, Mark, let's go to 23 for a minute. Let's see if I can find myself. Well, let's go to verse 21. For for from within, within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. It's amazing that Jesus Christ lists pride among all of those other sinful behaviors. And that's a, that's a thing. What did he say there in verse 23? That, uh, or verse 20, yeah, verse 23. All these evil things, pride, he's calling an evil thing. They come from within, and what do they do? They defile you. Pride defiles you because you can't serve God while you're in a prideful, when you have a prideful heart, a prideful mind, a prideful thought about yourself. You can't serve God. You limit yourself because you're, because what Satan is doing to you. Jesus Christ, as he, as he put it that way, but in either case, the effects are destructive. Pride, pride, positive pride, negative pride is destructive and it's harmful to a believer. It's harmful to the mission as well. Timothy, Timothy said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, he declared that if one is lifted up with pride, they will fall into the condemnation of the devil. Essentially, uh, becoming, I would say, becoming like Satan, not that you're becoming an evil spirit or anything like that, but, but you fall into the condemnation of the devil. Uh, Satan, you become like Satan when you're supposed to be like Christ because you're, Christ is trying to stop or I'm sorry, Satan is trying to stop what Christ is getting accomplished. And if you are getting, if you are prideful, ultimately you're 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 being used by Satan to stop what God is doing. Paul said in First Timothy chapter three verse six, "Not a novice, left being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil." So another example, go to Proverbs chapter seven.
This is about the adulterous woman. She's a good, she, there's a good description of how Satan is seeking to destroy us. Starting in verse 21, Proverbs 7, 21. With her, much, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you with fair speech about your behavior, about how good you are or whatever, or how, how, how worthless you are, to yield. He wants you to yield, which means to stop, to, to not continue going forward. You know how the yield sign is, right? It's kind of like a stop sign. Sometimes you stop, sometimes you just don't. But that's, that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to hesitate, to, to go back and forth, stalling or, or, and going. And it goes on, he says, um, cause him to yield with the flattering of her lips. She forced him. He goeth out, he goeth after her straightway as with an ox goeth to the slaughter as a fool to the correction of the stocks. So now drop down to the last verse here, because I don't want to read, take the time to read that whole passage, but it's about this, this woman that this, this wants to destroy you that's an example of Christ. In verse 27, her house is the way to hell going down to the chambers of death. That's what pride does to you. Pride, it may, you, know, you may be saved and you may be on your way to heaven. You may not be on the way down uh, to, to the chambers of death. But the people that you're not reaching now because you're too prideful to serve God, they may be heading for the chambers of death. See, that's what's at stake. That's what we were talking about last or yesterday uh, and throughout all of this series is that we have a responsibility to try to rescue the lost, rescue the dying, rescue those who, who are without Christ. And so we know this battle is a spiritual one, right? I'm not talking about a physical battle. We're not talking about bullets and, and bombs and things like that. Um, uh, and so we know it's a spiritual one, but we can be victorious. We can be victorious. You know what it says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 4? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, physical, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That stronghold in your life may be pride. It may be something that you have looked at and, and, and lusted after uh, through your eyes or through your flesh, uh, some sort of desire in your flesh. That I've got to cra- I crave this thing, and this thing is going to keep me from serving God. That's 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 a that's a weapon that that's a warfare that we're dealing with. Ephesians chapter six verse twelve also says, "For the we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places." You see, the enemy, Satan, he wants to keep you unable to find a place to own the mission. But I'm here to tell you right now, and I have been telling you that everybody has a place to plug in. Everybody has a place to insert themselves in the mission. I've given you several examples. Every one of us should be able to think, okay, do I, what kind of example am I? Am I plugged into the mission? Am I, am I just laboring or am I plugged in? There's a difference because we can fill a gap, but then when something changes that you leave, the gap is there again. I don't know how many times I hear in the last year, I'm going to go ahead and say this, in the last year I've heard, I've heard, from this side, E-Wing, we just need one more adult and we can open up another class. A week later, I hear, we need two more adults. Something happened. The people that were plugged in unplugged. So owning a mission, you should never, you should never, you, I don't think you should be capable of unplugging. Now, God may move you, and I'm not discounting that because God has moved me. He's moved you. But to unplug just for the sake, well, I, I can't do that anymore. It doesn't, doesn't fit my life. I can't do that anymore. So I'm unplugging. So we go up and we go down. We go up and we go down. And minute, not just children's ministry, but every ministry is the same way. We go up and we go down because people have plugged in and then they unplug. So Satan, Satan uh, tries to lure us to use lust. He uses lust and he uses pride to, to get us to not own the mission. And, um, and so we have to, what we have to do is we have to find out, we have to, we have to um, fight the battle. We have, to go, um, we have to go to the next step, taking the battle. And that's what I want to talk about next. So Satan has three strategies, lust, Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. 
We can talk about that all day long, and I don't want to do that. What I want to talk about right now is what, what we have to combat that. Because the best way to combat is to, is to in, engage. So let me just say this. No, so Satan has three strategies. HBF has three strategies as well, three fronts. And I, when I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this, this, this section, I, it struck me as kind of an interesting that we never really think about the fact that we have, we have a three, we have a frontal strategy, three strategies. How do I say that? A strategy that has three fronts to battle the opposition that wants to keep you from plugging in. So we have three strategies, and you guys probably already know what they are. Anybody know what they are? I know Brian knows. Okay, that's one. Evangelism is two. Missions is three. That's the things that we, that's our front. That's, that's where we need to find ourselves here. So I'm not going to go down into depth on all three of these fronts, but I am going to make a few comments. So while anybody here, as you just did, should be able to identify those fronts. So every, if, you, if, you were to, if you were to break it all down, everything that we do at HBF, it's, it ought to be, it should be, it needs to be missions, evangelism, or discipleship. If it's not one of those three, then we're not fighting a war that needs to be fought for the souls of men and women. I don't know what we're doing, but we ought to be doing one of those three things. And if you're, if you're capable, then do all three things. It's okay. All right, so anyway, here we go. So discipleship. Discipleship would be the first prong. You know what discipleship is? I'm not talking about D1. I'm not, I am, but I'm not. But here's the thing. D1, discipleship is the battleground for growth in everybody. That discipleship. Now, can you just, like, run through your mind, and what do we have in, in ministry that would fit up underneath discipleship. Obviously, discipleship will fit under there, but what else? What, what other things fit under discipleship as a front to, to, to battle for the souls of men and women? Well, that's what I want you to think about. I'm not going to give you that answer. I know, what I, I know what I would say, but I want to see what you would say later on. Okay, so what's that? Learning to follow, that's a good discipleship lesson. Amen. Okay, so let's go. So the battleground, the battleground for the soul, this is the battleground for the souls of, for, for everybody, uh, for their growth. And to be discipled is the first necessary step to prepare a believer to own the mission. You know, we have four goals in discipleship, right? In discipleship one, we have four goals. I was just talking to Brian about, Brian Barry about, about our discipleship ministry and we have those four goals. And it's always good to remind ourselves what those goals are because they help identify how we prepare people to own the mission, right? What's the, what's the first four goals? What's the first four? I, I, don't, I don't care if they're in order, but what's, give me a goal. Establishing the Word of God. Okay, what else? In ministry. Okay, that's, the, that, that's number four. I would use that one, number four. That's okay. What about, number, what about two more? Fellowship and the church. Fellowship of the believers in the church. And, of course, the last one, as I said, I would always put establish them in the ministry because that means plugging them in, helping them get to the point where they are owning some aspect. It doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, I'm not talking about making people be preachers and pastors and missionaries coming out Lesson 16. I'm talking about someplace they find themselves plugged in to get something accomplished. If you recall, if you were here on the first night two, two Wednesdays ago, yeah, this, this, yeah, two Wednesdays ago, um, I mentioned, an, an, I, I gave you guys an example of somebody that I would say owns the mission, but in a way maybe you never thought about, and that was Jim Boyette. You know why I say Jim Boyette owned the mission? Because Jim Boyette took it upon himself. He plugged himself into making sure this facility was capable of waging war against the enemy. He made sure the pipes worked. I know Steve is working on pipes right now. That's just an example of what, what Steve is doing now, but that's what, that's what Jim did. Jim made sure the grass was cut. Jim made sure the parking lot was taken care of. Jim made sure the, that the, the lights were on and the, and the furnace worked and the heater worked and the air conditioner worked and all that. He took care of those things so that, why? So we could be comfortable. No, he did it because he wanted the facility that was preparing the, the, the warriors for the souls of men and women had a place to prepare. 
And that was, that's, a, that's a great example. That's, that's plugging in. I mean, he's not, he's not necessarily teaching, he's, you know, although he did teach Berean class and he discipleship and counsel and all. He did a lot of things. But that's an example of somebody that, I'm, that I look at. I think, man, that's, that guy owned the mission. He owned it. It was his. He would always try to get somebody else to work, but that didn't mean he didn't own it. He's just responsible to get it done. And he got it done. He always got it done. I don't know how he got it done, but he always got it done. Okay, so discipleship also includes discipleship also includes doctrinal preparation, leadership development, all of those kind of things. And so we have to have leaders. We have to have development of, of doctrine. We have to have the true truth taught. Without this front, the other battles would never be fought. And too many lost souls would, retain, would, be, would remain lost for eternity if we're not discipling. Because if we're not plugging in goal four, uh, then, we're, then we're not moving where we need to. Okay, so the next uh, uh, front is evangelism. And I would call it evangelism developing a heart for war and strategic training. And this is the battleground for the soul. Evangelism is the battleground for the soul. You know why? Because evangelism is about going out and winning souls. And so it's the, battle for, it's the battleground. Now these battles, they're won when a soul is rescued from eternity outside the presence of the comfort or the privilege or the interacting with God. These battles are won when a soul is rescued from outside being away from God and plugging them back into God. In Psalm, I love Psalm chapter 27, verses 3 to 4, and it says this, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We should want to get every soul to that to where they could be in the house of the Lord and inquire at the face of, inquire with, uh, um, in his temple. There are so many things that can be said about evangelism, but if a church is failing to conduct outreach, the battle is lost before it even begins. If we're not evangelizing, we're, we're, we're backing up. And then the third, uh, the third for, uh, front is missions. Now, missions... I, if you would think about a like a trident, a spear, uh, you got three prongs, you know. And so I would put this in the middle: discipleship and evangelism support missions. Missions leads everything else we do. It should lead everything we do, not just missions overseas. I'm talking about missions in the church, missions in your heart. So there's um, so this is this is what I be call I would call the spearhead of the three fronts. Missions is the battleground for gaining spiritual ground. Now, this is an interesting thing. And when I said it, when I wrote it down, I was like, what? So let me just explain. Missions is the battleground for gaining spiritual ground. Missions is combat. Missions is combat. And missions is taking the war for the souls, taking the war to the enemy. Okay, so what do I mean by that? So consider when a missionary enters an unreached, just think about an unreached place where there is no gospel. I think uh, uh, Brian is going to uh, Ireland. If you've seen his display out there, you'll hear about what he has to say tonight. So I don't want to take too much of his, his, uh, his presentation. But one of the things that he is going to tell you is that Ireland, believe it or not, is the least reached English-speaking country in the world. Isn't that incredible? He's going to talk about that and explain all that means, but just... Just let that sink in. The least reached English-speaking country in the world. So when he goes, you know who's you know who's in spiritual spiritually in control in Ireland. The devil. So when he's he's taking the war to the devil, he's taking the war to the devil, and uh, he's taking it to his to Satan's territory, and he's taking the battle to fight for his territory. You know why? Because what he wants to do is turn Ireland into a Christian country, into a believer country, a country where the souls of people there, I don't know how many people there, he'll tell you that tonight, how many people are there, but let's just say there's, you know, I don't know, 400 billion people there. I don't think it'll hold that many. 
but just give you know just a rough number 400 billion people in Ireland and he wants every one of them to find their way to heaven so he's taking the battle to the devil that's mission he's taking the battle to the devil mission protects the body mission protects the body and grows the church not the local church necessarily but the universal church the church of Christ you know god uh, the body of Christ uh, grow in that uh, by reaching into a place and planting a new local church that will also own the mission. So what he and every missionary should should desire to do is plant a church and have them learn how to own the mission as well. How does he do that? Discipleship, evangelism, missions. Every church, discipleship, evangelism, missions. And that's what we have to do those three things. So when we send our support missionary, when we send or support missionaries, we invest in gaining souls for God, so things are growing. And so I realize that this may sound arrogant to some, but consider that if we did not obey the Great Commission to go to all nations, then many nations would be lost. So we're trying to win nations. Now, not geopolitical nations. We're trying to reach people groups, ethnic groups. That's what that word means in, in that verse uh, in, in Matthew 28. If we never send missionaries to another country, if we never own the mission in our own place, in our own church, the gospel would never be proclaimed to unreached people who need to be present in heaven. If we don't do something, if we don't send missionaries, if we don't become mission-minded in our heart and everything that we do is about owning the mission, then we're going to leave people behind when Christ returns. Now, we all need to look at these three fronts, and we, need, and we need to acknowledge that there are lots of ways that you can own a mission as part of one of those three fronts, or multiples of them. Uh, and that's what, we, that's what we need to do. Find a place to plug in and do it. Okay, so what is needed in the war of soul, for souls? Let me just give you some things that you need, and then we'll get into where I really want to go. Okay, Christians will open the hearts of others to see down and own the mission. That's what we need. We need people to do this. Actually, let me go one back one. So what do we need in the war for souls? We need the following things. First, we need Christians who will open the hearts for other, of others to see it to own the mission. We need somebody to invest in other people so that they would own the mission. So when you're owning the mission, it's not just owning that part. I mean, okay, this is my little kingdom. I, I got this mission. This is mine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this is mine to make God's mission happen. What's God's mission we talked about yesterday? I remember that. God desires in lost man by way, of sal- by way of salvation. So that's the mission that we're plugging into. And where you plug in can be a lot of different things. Okay, the second thing that we need is Christians who will actively do what it takes to make it possible for others to engage in one of those three fronts that we have at HBF. So whatever we're doing, we need to, we need to help move people along. So discipling, moving people along towards, the, towards plugging into the mission, uh, serving in the ministry. I, I'm, just, I'm looking at Luke. I'm thinking Luke, you know, Luke owns the mission in the office. You know, he he owns the administration of of making sure this church continues to function. I think he does a pretty good job. And we need somebody like that. We need that kind of a role as well. So he not only is he supporting his own ministry, the the youth, the high school class, but he's also supporting every other ministry in various ways. He's plugged in. He works on time. He works when he doesn't have to. And not just him, but the whole office staff does the same thing. So those are just examples of what, I, what I've been trying to talk about. Okay, so what part of the mission will you own then? So let, me, uh, let me ask you these questions. These are questions you can challenge yourself with. Will you teach on the discipleship front? Will you reach out to the evan- on the evangelism front? And will you support the mission front? Will you go into battle? This is probably the bigger question. Will you go into battle regardless of the size or the intensity of the battle? I've been watching uh, Band of Brothers on, on HBO. It's probably the third or fourth time I've watched that now. But I, they just finished the, uh, the, uh, the battle at Bastogne where they were bombed for a month 
They just lived under the trees are exploding above their heads. And they were just, and, you know, somebody would come and say, pull back, pull back. And they say, we're not giving up an inch. We're not giving up any ground. We own this. This is our ground. Those Germans can't have that ground. And that's how we should be. We should, we should look at things like that. I'm not giving up this ground to Satan. What ground? The souls of people. How? Whatever it takes. Whatever you, whatever you can plug in. Plug in and own it. And be like those, those guys that, I mean, and it was a movie. I can't even imagine what the reality was like of those guys being bombed like that all the time. But that's, so no matter how intense the war gets, the battle gets, here's the question then. It's not up there. Let me just tell you. No matter how, how intense the battle gets, will you surrender to any call on your life from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? No matter how intense it, that battle may be, will you surrender to it? Will you answer that call? Will you go? And so many times we say no. Will you prepare to go? Will you prayerfully prepare your heart to hear God call you? To engage, will you will you say, God, what is it that you want me to do? I know, you know, the verse Isaiah 6, 8 says, here, here I am, send me. We use that verse a lot for going to the mission field, which is a great verse. I did it, I use it, I understand it, I've taught it that way. But here's the question that I would, instead of saying, instead of saying, oh God, send me, just say, oh God, plug me in. Plug me in someplace. Give me, give me a role to play. Give me something that I can own. Or do you have a reason that you cannot engage? So let me take a, a little bit of time, and we, we'll conclude here, with uh, some reasons um, why people say, can't do that, sorry. Uh, so turn over to uh, Exodus chapter 3. So I want to talk about finding your place and uh, finding your place to occupy, and uh, really, it's what is the what is needed in the war for the souls. Let me see, get here. Finding your place, um, what what is going to keep you from doing exactly that? So now this this story, this is Moses. Uh, Moses has already uh, left Egypt. He's 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 uh, he's with uh, uh, Jethro, his father-in-law. Uh, he's married, and, and, and he's keeping sheep, and there's a mountain there. It turns out to be Mount Sinai, and, and uh, there's always ruckus going on on top of the mountain. There's, there's noises, there's thunders, there's lightnings, there's a, big, there's a big glow up there, and he's like, what's going on up there? So it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he, he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mount of God, mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And in verse 3 it says, Moses said, I will go now, turn aside, and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And so in verses 1 to 3, you know, God is, God is or Moses is being drawn into this, this bush that's on fire, this, this, this passionate burning bush it's passionate it's a passionate fire it's god's fire and it's passionate for the lost moses was facing the same conversation that you and i will that we'll face all every time god is asking will you moses own my mission that's actually what this whole chapter is about is god moses will you own the mission and you probably already know that there's actually five reasons that Moses says, I'm sorry, God, I can't do that. Five times he says that. And they're very similar to the same excuses that we use as we look at these things. But we can learn some things about how Moses tried to disown the mission before he ever got started. Because that's what we do. We try to disown. We try to disconnect. We try to run and hide. So anyway, so he was drawn to this mountain because the angel had appeared in a flame. And in my first series, sessions of this series, I mentioned the need to let the fire burn in your heart, that others may see God in their own heart become a flame as well. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 104, 
verse 4, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. And so in verse 4, it says, and when the, when the Lord saw, this is a key verse here, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And that's an interesting statement there where it says that he turned aside to see. And when God saw, when God saw him turn, God spoke to him. Very important action that took place right there because God not, the only, God not only called to him, but he called him by name and he called to Moses because Moses was curious enough to turn and look. Moses was curious enough to turn. He turned aside to see the wondering, amazed, wondrous amazement of God's and he wanted to see what God was doing. And one of my intentions with this series about owning the mission is this. I want you to turn and see. I want you to just turn and see, see what God is doing. And then plug into it. I don't know how many times we used to say that. Find out where God is working and go there. Do what God is, go where God is doing something and be there. So it's my intention, hopefully, to, to help you to see where there are openings, where God is at and he's doing something, where nobody is occupying right now. Or maybe there is people occupying right now. It doesn't matter. There's, there's not like a, we can only have one person doing this job. We need a lot of people. That's why we have evangelism, so we can bring more people in, so we can disciple them, so we can send them as missionaries. See, all of those fronts are important. Okay, so anyway, verse 5. Verse 5, and he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where, on this, where thou standest is holy ground. I think that's an interesting verse as well, an interesting passage. God says you're walking on holy ground. Now, it's not holy because there was a temple there. It's not holy because there was a sanctuary for worship. The reason that that ground is holy is because God is present there. God is there. And where God is, that's holy place. So when you're serving where God is at and you're plugging in, you're plugging into a holy place. Remember what Stephen, Stephen talked about this when Stephen, before he was executed in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 33. I think I got the passage up there. He says, in Acts chapter 7, verse 33 and 34, he says, Then said the Lord to him, this is Stephen preaching, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen... I have seen the affliction of my people. This is, he, he's quoting what God says. I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and, all, and, have, and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. That's, that's the mission that God was calling Moses to. So back in Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 6 to 9, God tells Moses who he is and what he intends to do. So, so verse 6 Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Those are the lost and dying souls that are crying out for somebody to bring them a word. In verse 8, And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perseites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. So we'll, we'll move on from there. So in verse 6 to 9, he, he says he is the God. Not a God, but the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He tells, he tells him you, that um, he has heard of the need of the people to, to free them, and he intends to free them from their bondage in Egypt, which is a picture of the world bathed in sin. And so verse 10, he goes on in verse 10. We're almost, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I do want to get a few more verses down the road here. Uh, verse 10 Come now, therefore, that's a call. Come now, and I will send thee to Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, so we get, we get to the point. There's a problem. There's a big problem. I know about the big problem. I need you 
to go. I need you, Moses, to plug in. I need, I'm, I don't want to point out anybody's names here, but I'm just going to fan the room. God says, I need you to plug in to rescue the people from the world. Okay, but look what Moses did in verse 11. Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm not, that's our first excuse. I'm nobody. That's that negative pra- uh, pride that I was talking about. So I'm just a nobody. I'm, pri- I'm proud of my nobodyism. I'm proud of my nobody. I'm just a nobody. I can't do anything. God, don't send me. So this is where many Christians, I think, are in their life. They know that there's a need to occupy, because you've heard it enough times in the last couple days. And they, they may even feel called. You may, you, you, may be the, you may feel the tug on your heart right now. You may feel in your gut, oh, gosh, I just want to, but I, de- I can't. I'm just a nobody. I, you know, I know this, because I did it. These excuses that we're looking at, I made every one of them. I stood hard on them. God, I cannot do this. But it was just me and God wrestling, you know, in the living room in the di- when the lights are off, and it's just me and him talking. And maybe you have too, but he's not going to give up on you. So you might as well just give up the fight. Join in the battle. So he, Moses, uh, he knows that there's a need to occupy. He already, he already he, I mean, he was in Egypt. He saw it. He knows what the problems are. He knows what the circumstances are. You know how it is. You've been in the world, and you know what you know what the world is doing to people. You know you've seen it because you were you were part of it at one time. And so, so anyway, he knows that there's a need to occupy, and he and he feel, and he knows that he needs to be he needs to allow God to call him. And he turned to see what God was doing, but like Moses, most Christians have multiple reasons. So the first one always starts with I'm not I'm not, I'm just a nobody. I'm just a nobody. So that's reason number one. I'm gonna. Go through the reasons, and then I'm going to go through the, how God has given us uh, exemption from those, those problems, I think. Okay, so, so Moses had five. God calls Moses. Moses says no, but Moses had five reasons that he used to resist God's call. The first excuse was, that, as I read in verse 1, uh, who am I to go before Pharaoh? So we've already heard a couple times this week. Last night was one of them. Maybe yesterday during the day. I don't know. We've heard a couple times that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Is that something along those lines? So here's the thing. Moses is saying, who am I? I'm not prepared. God says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Moses says, who am I? I can't do this, God. I am nobody. He's trying to claim I'm not qualified to engage in this role for which you are calling me to do. And too many times we say, I can't do that. I can't, I can't disciple somebody. I can't evangelize. I can't teach children. I can't work with life issues. I can't do any of those. I can't, I'm just a nobody. I can't do that. God responds with two very important truths in verse 12. Two very important responses, basically, which gives you, which gives you your qualifications, and you should never forget these truths. Verse 12, first part. Certainly, I will be with thee. Pause. Okay, so never forget. In fact, you should highlight that statement. Certainly, I will be with thee. That, what's, that, what's that mean? That means God will be with you wherever you are at, no matter what is happening, no matter what's going on. God is always there. That's the first thing he wants you to God is always with you. The second thing he says, and this is an interesting statement, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. So there's a token. He's talking about this is the token. All right. And the best way I can explain it. Let me go finish reading this verse. When thou hast brought the forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. That's the token. When I bring the people out, I'll serve you. That's the token. Yes, that's the token. The token is trust me, have faith in me that what I say will come to pass. That's what that token is. So God says, I'm with you, and my word you can count on. That's the, that's just, that's the token. That's the, the thing you can put in your pocket and hang on. Every time you think about it, you can put, reach in there and touch it. 
maybe you can't touch it because it's just words, but you can hang on to the words and say, no, that God said that his word will be fulfilled. He's saying, hey, when thou hast brought forth the people, when you, when you accomplish my mission, when you go and get people and bring them out, that's your token, because you, I'm sending you to bring them, and once you bring them, you'll know that I've been telling you the truth. You ever kind of wonder sometimes how God does that? He tells you to do something, and then you're like, well, God never told me anything else after that. Yeah, he did. We just don't look for it. We don't hear when he speaks. Okay, so let me go on here. Um, the point is this, is first to remember who you are as a child of God and a recipient of salvation. And once that you are confident in your identity, it brings you one step closer to realizing that God has desired you to be a part of his mission to occupy a place. One of the cool things about Moses was he was a man that had strength. I mean, he was, he was a man. You know, I mean, we know he did some good things. We did some bad things, but he was a man. He stood against wrongs, even though he was wrong in his actions. He was vocal. He was willing to speak his mind as in when he was ref- he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He said, you know, I don't want, I don't want that. He was vocal enough that God says, you have it in you to do what I need you to do. And I think God looks at every one of us and he says, you have a trait. You have a characteristic that I can use. Everybody does. I think everybody does. Okay, his second excuse is in verses 13 and 14. And Moses said unto God, this is okay, so, okay, I got a token, great. Moses said to God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, they shall say, well, what's his name? What shall I say unto them? And God answers in verse 14. God says unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. So God gave him the name, I am that I am. And we should be aware that that's the absolute name of God. It's the unchanging eternal being. The significance of this name, of course, is that being the name that was an unspoken name, Jews didn't speak this name. When Moses spoke that name, not being a, I mean, he was Jewish by by birth, but he wasn't Jewish by, by, by raising up. So for him to speak this word, to say, I am that I am sent me to talk to you guys. That's an important statement that's being made. So when you're confronted with a part of the ministry to own, you can know that the almighty creator God of all life has called you to the task. And then he has his third uh, excuse. Okay, so you got two excuses. I'm not good enough. Uh, they, won't, they won't believe me. They won't listen to me. And his third excuse is, uh, again, they won't believe me. And so... In verse, um, and we'll go to chapter one, verse chapter four, verse one. So we we dealt with the whole names and everything all the way through the end of chapter three. And in verse one, Moses answered and said, "But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Ah, I don't believe you. They'll just say, I don't believe me, God. That's just what they'll say. So this uh, this excuse." Well, similar to the second excuse, God reminds Moses of the staff that's in his hand, right? He's holding a rod. And Moses, and he, and he says, use it. So they see and believe God sent him. So, Moses, so God tells Moses, he reminds him, you have a staff in your hand, so use it. But God has given us the right tools. That's something you need to keep in mind as well. God has given you the tool that you need to use. Everybody has a skill. Everybody has a skill. You may not know it, but you have a skill. That skill, I believe, can be used to reach the lost. I don't know what your skill is. Sometimes I think I don't have any skills. But God has still used all of us. He can use us all in the skills that we have. What's in your hand? He's given us the right tools to accomplish his work. We have no fear of a lack of skill because he's given it to us. Remember what he did with, now we want to turn to Exodus chapter 31. But after most of Exodus, as you recall, once they, once they made it to Moses or to the Mount Sinai, is a description of the tabernacle, the construction of the tabernacle, and the use of the tabernacle all the way through the rest of the chapter. Right? I don't know why people skip over Exodus. But don't do that. Read it all because it's interesting, even though you don't think it is. But here's the thing. Exodus chapter 31, there was a guy by the name of Beziel, 
Beziel was given the task of building the tabernacle. He was the, he, I don't know what you would call him, the foreman. He was the guy that God put into his mind and in his heart how to do everything, how to make it all, how to make the, the rings and the, and the cords and the, and the, uh, the, the, the linen cloths and, the, and the, how to cover everything with gold and how to make, a, make the staff to, to pick up the, the, the ark. And all that he, he put it, he, God put it, that in him to construct the tabernacle. The point there is that God, if, even if you don't have the skill right now that God needs you to fulfill, God will give you that skill. He will. If, if this is what God wants you to do, he will give you the ability to do that. The fourth, reason, the fourth excuse now is in verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am a, I am a slow of speech and a slow tongue. Okay, so in this fourth excuse, Moses claims to be limited in his vocabulary and he has a speech impediment. So, so in verse 11... God said, the Lord said unto him, who made your mouth? That's a great thing. God says, who made your mouth? That's a your, but man's mouth. Or who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go. I'm tired of listening to your excuses. Go. And I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. So in this fourth excuse, God reminds Moses that he's, you know, uh, his mouth was made by God and his mouth will be filled by God with the right words. God will give you the words to speak and he will have those words in, in you know, you, you actually have the words in the Bible. So God's already given you everything you need to speak. It's, it's called the scripture, God's word. That's why we call it God's word, because it's his word. He's given you his word. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, that's not up there. John chapter 14, verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. He's going to give you what you need to know. And then there's the last excuse, and this is the most amazing excuse there is. Verses 13 and 14. And Moses said, he said, O my Lord, I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Notice, by the hand of him thou wilt send, not me. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and said, Is not Aaron the light Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and I will also behold he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he send, seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. So basically, here's the, four, the fifth excuse. Bottom line, Moses had no more excuses. He just says, I don't want to do it. Now, that's where a lot of times we're there. I just, you know, we make excuse because we don't want to admit the truth. The truth is, I just don't want to do it. I just, God, I'm sorry, God, I, I don't want to do it. So while he tried to get out of going with four made-up excuses, this last one really shows his heart. His heart was, I don't want to do it. I'm I'm sorry, Brian, Pastor Brian, I I'm, I don't want to I'm, I I don't want to do that. You know how many times I wanted to say that to him. <laughs> no, that's all good. But but that's where we're at a lot of times with God. I don't want to serve. I don't want to do this. He was afraid to return to Egypt because he surely was going to face death. I mean, after all, he was a murderer in Egypt. He was afraid of the Jewish leaders because he was an outsider. I mean, he was Jewish, but he was an outsider. Finally, he had to confess his fear. I, I just don't want to do it. And God did not let him off the hook. He said, go anyway. Verse 15, and thou shalt, go, thou shalt, and thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth. I'm in the right place, yeah. And with his mouth, and will teach you what you, what you shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be even, shall be even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. And so he basically says, okay, he'll go and he'll be your mouth. 
and you'll be you'll be the representative to him about what I what I want to say. I'll tell you, you tell him, he'll tell them. So let me just finish up here real quick, real quick. Let me just wrap up this this whole point here. The point of this whole lesson is what we all look look for that we all every one of us look for creative ways to avoid surrendering to the call of God on our life. I can't go because of my family. I can't go because of my parents. I can't do this. I can't. I. I, I mean, I only looked at five, well, four real ones that finally are the truth. But there's probably five reasons for every person that's in here. You you could come up with five different reasons, and the person sitting next to you. We all have. I don't know how many people are in the room, but you know, we probably have a representative here. We could possibly have eh, 150, 200 different reasons for not serving God. Many of you do serve God. Praise the Lord to that. And because you do serve God, you're an example for others who need to plug in to serve God. And while you're in there, while you're plugged in, help others plug in. So just like I said, five excuses, but there could have been many, many more. It wouldn't make a difference, though. It wouldn't make a difference if you had 200 excuses. I mean, if you're having a conversation with God and you wrote down every one of your excuses over the course of however long you prayed, and you make all these excuses, God doesn't care. If he's called you, he's called you. I do believe one more thing about, about this, and that is that God will not call you to do anything that you're not capable of handling. And I do believe that God will only call those that are ready. Philippians, I'll give you three verses real quick. Philippians 4.13 should be a familiar verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Ephesians 3.16 that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the might by his spirit in the inner man. God give you the strength. God will give you the things that you need to say. He will strengthen you. He'll strengthen you over and over again. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. God gives you the strength. We don't think, we think this is another excuse. We think I'm not strong enough to do that. God says, I'll give you the strength. You don't need to, you don't even need to fight the battle by yourself under your own power. Fight the battle with me. You just be the mouthpiece. You just be the one I'm sending. I will do the work. So let me wrap this whole series up and we'll be done. And so, so should you sense that God is calling you into ownership missions, then when, I just want you to know that we are here as pastors. We are here to help you with the task of becoming an owner of the mission. If you feel that maybe God might, might, might be, if you just want to explore the opportunity, the possibilities of, of answering a go over there call, we can talk. I'd love to talk with you about that. That's partly what I'm here for to do. Brian is the same way and other pastors are the same way. But if you just want to plug into the ministry here and you want to know how can I do that, we'll connect you with the right people to make that happen as well. Maybe you need training. We can handle that. That's called discipleship. Maybe you need counseling. We can assist there too. Maybe you need to just talk about what you're seeing in Scripture. We can be here for that. Now, we have seven men on our pastoral team. They're all committed to help. They're ready to help. And if you're from another church, you have a pastor in that church. They're ready to help because I know that they're, they're thinking the same thing. So we are all like-minded on executing God's mission and on how to help. So it's time. We'll be, we'll be plug in. So you can come forward anytime. I mean, you can make a phone call and say, hey, I want to sit down and talk to you. Or you can come to the altar. You can come right now. We're going to pray here in a minute. We'll be finished. And you, if you just like, God, I need to know how to surrender. Just come up here and pray. You don't need to talk to me. You don't need to talk to Brian. But you can get with God at the altar. Why did you come to this altar? I mean, it's not like a holy place or anything. It's just like you making a step. You turn like Moses did to see what God is doing. So take a step. Maybe tonight, maybe after you've gone home and had lunch and taken a nap or whatever, you come back and say, you know what? I need to get real about this. So come forward at any time, any service, not just a vision conference. You can come next week. You know, it would be great. Come on Easter Sunday. You know, surrender on Easter Sunday. Come forward anytime, any service. They're all good. You can come as you as you come as you can. Come to the altar. Prayerfully deal with God 
about what he is calling you to do any Sunday, any Bible study, any conference. If you think God wants you to possess a portion of his field, step up and get to it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this uh, final um, lesson, Lord, about about uh, how to avoid the excuses of, of de de uh, dealing with preventing ourselves, trying to stop ourselves from serving you. I do pray, Father, that there's people in our congregation that are here today, that have been here uh, this week, that, that will be here the, the next couple sessions, Lord. If you desire for them, if you are calling them, Lord, I pray that they would respond. And Lord, I just want to take a moment right now, if anybody wants to respond right now, that they just want to take a, take a positive step to turn like Moses, turn and look at what you're doing, Lord, I pray right now that they would just get up and come forward. We can put somebody up here with them if they want to pray with somebody. It's, Lord, if anybody at all wants to make that, make that decision, make that commitment to the Lord, I pray that they would do so right now. And Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you. What a, what a privilege it is um, to be able to speak uh, to so many people and to share my heart, my beliefs, my, my vision uh, for, for owning the mission. And I ask, Father, for you to move in all of us. And we just praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.